Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast, supported by Lacole here with Benji Nyson for Criterium de Dauphiné Stage 4 Recap. Why am I on the ground if you're watching on YouTube? Well, I just had to move house. I just set up the router and all I brought with me was my Lacole t-shirt, great doubling as a moving shirt, as well as my sunglasses. Couldn't do without both of those two things. So a little bit of a different podcast today, mainly because I've never lied to you on this podcast and I don't intend to now. I didn't watch a minute of this TT because I was moving. <laughs> Benji watched all of it. And uh, so we're going to do it a bit differently today where Benji explains to me what the hell happened in this TT because it's got some super weird results. The profile before I throw to Benji, Fermini to Roche-la-Moliere, 17 Ks, 330 meters of climbing, constant up and down. We've got rolling climbs and a fair few turns but uh, yeah, can you just explain to me what this course was like, Benji, and why that maybe threw up some weird results? Well, this course was actually a bit underrated on the profile, I'd say, because looking on the road, it looked much harder than I anticipated when I looked at the profile. We've got a very lumpy terrain, rolling hills, and that initial false flat descent is a good start, but then it really starts off after a good so what is it? Seven kilometers. We've got an uphill section that is on five to six percent, but there were some parts in there that were uh, a bit more than that. I can tell you that from how those riders were riding it. Then a few rolling hills on top of that hill. We go down again, another small hill of a kilometer, then down again, and then the final ramp to the finish line, which was one point four kilometers at four percent. But there was a section in there of eight percent, according to the visuals on the right bottom of the screen while watching the race. So. I felt like the time trial was harder than everybody was anticipating and the riders as well because certain teams were picking a strategy to go pretty hard at the start and certain teams were picking a strategy to go hard on the end ramp and that became very clear from the final results. Alexei Lutschenko first for Astana Premier Tech with a time of 21.36, 45k an hour average. I'm looking through his palmares. He's a strong guy. He's won a lot. I don't think he's ever won a TT before Benji, except the he, Ka- the Kazakh champs and Danish one in Denmark. Two, yes, two thousand and fourteen. Uh, <laughs> it's too far back, and too <laughs> they don't even have the profile on PCS. <laughs> Third is Kasper Askren. Fourth, Kelderman. We thought he'd do a good results. Fifth, Van Wilder. Notable emissions, no Ineos riders yet. 15 seconds back, Richie Port in sixth, Wingergaard seventh, McNulty eighth, 21 seconds back, Perstelberger ninth on 23, the same time as Thomas Kwiatkowski 11th at 28 seconds. And the notable thing, Benji, which I want you to explain to me when I'm just looking at the results, from the second, from the time check to the finish, the riders who did that the quickest were Lutschenko, Izagiria, Askren. They finished one, two, three, why was it important to negative split this and why does it look like Thomas, who did the fastest first intermediate and like 15th in the in the uh, last time split, what was the benefit in negative splitting this? I think that the difference here is that the final ramp was, like I said, well, harder than I anticipated looking at the profile and probably the riders thought so as well. So someone like Karen Thomas, for example, must have seen the profile and was like, okay, I'm going to set a, a relatively same pace for the entire section because I'm a good flat time trialist. I'm a good hilly time trialist. I'm good on the rolling hills and time trials. I could might as well do a mountain time trial. So he's good at every level of that. But someone like Lutsenko and Inizigire, 
they're decent on the flat, but they're stronger when it comes to the hill sections in these terrains. So they're thinking more tactically, saving a bit of energy at the start on the false flat descent at the start and going harder on the climbing sections. And I think that's how this worked. Negative splitting, basically, what they did, setting a uh, slower pace in the first half of this parkour to then smash it on the final ramp, which was arguably the most important one looking at the results. Because like you mentioned, Izaguere was 14th at the first time check. Wow. And at the end, he finished second. So he completely just didn't ride a insane tempo at all in the first section and smashed the final ascension. And that's how he got so far. But I'd like to bring it back a bit chronologically because we started off with Vingegaard actually as one of the riders that was first on the uh, on the seats, the hot seats. And the reason that that's important is because a few days ago, we lost nine minutes in GC mm. and we were a bit wary about him. We were like, ah, for the time trial, perhaps not because of this. Turns out he had a, an Achilles heel injury, a small one yes. in recent days. And accordingly, he lost time according to that. But then again, his Achilles heel injury must not have been so great because uh, he eventually uh, set up an amazing time as first in this race because, yeah, they do the opposite order of chronological uh, the classification. So that's how they start. That's why he was one of the first ones to launch here. But McNulty tried to do the same thing a bit after that, set a proper time on both occasions, and he was unable to beat Vingegaard. I, I, I've got the feeling that comparing riders across teams, I so much compare Vingegaard and McNulty just because they're like the underdogs of the teams of Pogaccio and Roglic. Is that something you do as well? Yeah, and definitely like young up-and-comers, similar rider profile too. I mean, they were even in the same breaks together, Benji, in the Basque Country. <laughs> yeah. They literally got the same role in that Basque Country stage. <laughs> so, yeah, very similar rider profiles. Surely there's something to do with team planning and team strategy for this TT. For Thomas to come first at the inter first intermediate and 23rd, in the second split must be some blow up or he's just not able to hit his target power or it seems like Ineos haven't or Astana have got this one absolutely bang on. And I know it's hilly. I know and these hilly TTs can have weird results too. But Thomas can be good at hilly TTs. Richie Port's good at them too. So that's why this result is so surprising to me. And yeah, even Perstelberger, same time as Thomas, beating him probably by a few microseconds. Just super strange result. The only one we sort of is expected, Benji, is Asgren on the podium. Um, and for a big man, he must have been heavier than everyone else in the top top 10. He must be still carrying some really good form, Benji. Yeah, it seems he had that time trial in Algarve, for example, that we mentioned on yesterday's podcast. And He's done a great performance and he did it across the entire parkour. So he set a decent time. I think it was nine seconds behind on the first time check. And eventually towards the end, he kept that going. And on the last climb, we saw him out of his, uh, out of his seat, just trying to strive for the best time possible on the final hill. Osgadien's uh, kind of like, he's such an all-round rider. It's insane. Gobbles, hills. We have seen him climb at Algarve pretty well. And I remember vaguely that American race, was it Kali, probably, uh, a few years ago, where he also did well on mountain stages. I think it was Pogacar actually winning the one where Osgren was doing well. We've seen him do proper sprints. Well, obviously beat Vanderpool in a sprint, but that's in a different situation. That's after a very hard race. But he's got, like, literally, I think, almost everything, except for, like, 
top-notch climbing yeah. and top-notch punching. And he, outstanding yeah. rider. I mean, to, he's coming on in the TT, and it makes sense. I mean, if you get his, if if a guy can put out that sort of power in the last hour of Tour of Flanders, then if you get him in a good TT position and optimize it, he's going to be good at time trials too. Like Matthew Van der Poel would be an elite time trialist in my view if he really cared about it, but I don't think it's a discipline he's very interested in. This has big ramifications to the general classification, or maybe it doesn't, depending on what what you think, Benji. Perstelberger still keeps the yellow jersey yes. a second over Lutschenko. Fantastic TT from him. He was even worried about losing the yellow jersey yesterday. Lutschenko second. I think we have to consider Lutschenko a genuine GC contender. Uh, no. Benji, even though he's he's one of the most inconsistent riders you'll ever see in. But he, one week races, dangerous guy. Askren in third, nine seconds, same time as Yoni Zagira. So Astana have two threats who are basically, I'm not counting Askren as a GC guy for the parkour we have. So Astana are one and two of the GC contenders. Kelderman, really well placed, four seconds behind the Astana guys. Then Van Wilder, big performance so far from the young Belgian. Port, Thomas are about 16 and 24 back, then Conrad and O'Connor. So tomorrow's stage, Benji, I look at it and, you know, well, first of all, before I do tomorrow's stage, do you think Astana are fully in on GC for Luchenko and Izagiri now? They have to be, right? Yeah, I think they certainly are. I think that Izagiri was already their GC rider, but Luchenko as a second man is definitely useful in that. And... They've got a decent team here. Aramburu did really well in the time trial as well, but I think he crashed because he seemed to have crash marks when crossing the line. I haven't seen a confirmation on that, though, but he's part of that team. And in all honesty, is it Oscar Rodriguez here as well? I think as well for Astana. So he's already performing really well as well. I think on the stage that um, Bostelberger won, Rodriguez was the Astana rider that was like 10 seconds behind the elite group, just trying to get back on to try and help Aramburu, but couldn't get there in time. So uh, he's definitely on a decent level at least, but clearly not on level to stay in that group apparently. Nonetheless, I think in terms of GC, like you mentioned, ramifications. And I dare to say that despite Osgren is not necessarily being counted as a GC rider, he's the rider on their team that they're going to try for. Like, why would he not try being so close in GC? Just go for it. Because um, <laughs> the climbs are too long. I, I, I know try. La Plagne, yes, but <laughs> I think that the La, Le Sapillon Chartreuse stage, stage six, that second to last climb is long, but the final one, Osgrain should be able to do well on. True. So if he can hang on on that Col de Porte climb, then I do believe he can do something in the end. But La Plagne is definitely a part where that's hard for him but the thing is this is his opportunity to try it Let, let's say he actually becomes and finishes in the top 10 here of the Dauphiné you never know 10th 9th oh, something no, like that that'd be a huge result I, I'd love to see that and I think that's very promising as well because that offers him an, a possibility to if Tour de France like 2021 happens again then you never know it might uh it might fit him as well, but that's very far in the future because Osgren's got multiple other goals that he's probably caring more about these days but i think that's basically my thoughts on osgren for the rest of gc there's still a lot to go for nothing has been decided port had a really good tt but others were just better like we mentioned yesterday he was was gonna have one, a good one but not necessarily one to win this race on the tt at least and i think the most surprising time trial well not necessarily surprising but von welder also a great time trialist 
and showed that once again today. He's now 16 GC for DSM, and he's showing more and more in these kind of races that he's got the DT, he's got decent climbing, and that combined could be a, a GC rider. I think Port is probably the favourite for GC or maybe still Thomas. It depends. Eight seconds of difference between Port and Thomas. I still think Ineos are favourites for GC. I look at those final climbs and if they set a train up and go for bonus seconds which for whichever one wins the stage, assuming they're capable of it, uh, then I mean, maybe today's an indication of bad legs for Thomas, but I still think they are in the driver's seat. Tomorrow's stage from Saint-Chamond to Saint-Vallier 171k is difficult again, going to be difficult for the teams wanting to control a breakaway. You look at the final, there's a 1.4k, 11% climb. That's harder than the Murder Wee, by the way. It probably doesn't, might not have the pinches in it, although it says it's got a 16% pinch. That is long and hard, and I think that is a step too far for the climby sprinty boys. I think this is puncher territory only. And, I mean, if Sonny Cobrelli gets over that, Benji, and wins this stage, I mean, <laughs> then he's got the best legs of his life. But it's got this rolling climbs all day, like 2.4K, 7%, 2K, 6%, 3K, 6%. It starts with 4.4Ks at 6%. I'm thinking break, to be honest, because I'm not sure which teams are going to want to take it up. Yeah, that's a good question. You've got indeed the fact that Ineos and... Well, that's the main team for GC. Astana, I don't think, is going to take over anything to try and go for it. But I would indeed, um, yeah, I I dare to say breakaway. Or will Colbrelli try and set up things up again? One, oh. t- one, team needs, one team is the obvious candidate to pace in the GC group to set up for their winner, and that's Movistar for Valverde. Because you look at that finish and you look at stage two where Valverde was second in the group sprint behind Coldbrelli and they gapped everybody else. His flat kick is good. We have a flat finish here. The 1.4K is 11%. If they pace on that, they will drop anyone quicker than Valverde, one would think, and then it's 13 kilometres to the line. Uh, so yeah, they really should be. This is this should be for Valverde if they want to control the break and drop the uh, clock. Do you think they'll do it? I'm not sure about it. I don't dare to say it. I think that I don't think the problem so. here is that next to Movistar, I still believe that an Astana would also quite generally possibly chase up on this because Aramburu could finish well on this kind of finish. The problem is that they've now got two people in GC so close that. They can't use those for GC. Lutsenko didn't pace on stage three, which could already have been a clue that he was partially aiming for GC that we just didn't notice because I mentioned that on that podcast and I was like, why didn't he pace? But now it kind of looks like he's he's GC worthy and that means that as a consequence, they won't be pacing and who else in that team is then ready to pace? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily throw the entire team of Astana in the fire on this stage if you've got two mountain stages afterwards on which you want to try and win the race. So that's why I'm thinking Astana is probably not going to be pacing on this one. So indeed, Movistar is a a team that could do it, but it could also be... Don't you think that Colbrelli's team might try? Like 11% is a lot, I know, but it's Colbrelli. Yeah, I'd almost think it suits turns more than Colbrelli. And I actually think this is a big, a really good stage to attack Ineos because it's a short, steep climb. It's not like a 5K, 6%. You're not going to do anything to them. Like you can't, 
the train is immovable. But 1,400 metres, 11%, then with a descent and a sort of false flight descent into the finish, I think it's an opportunity to put pressure on them. Kind of like on Romandy Benji, that was our last climb, Solaire attacked, it was all mayhem, it was just Thomas on his own, yep. Dennis had crashed and uh, we couldn't believe you know Port and Den- uh, Thomas were isolated or if Port was there. I think there's an opportunity to put Ineos under pressure. O'Connor should try something on the climb. What's he got to lose really? Um, Kelderman from the sprint finish is quite quick. So if it's a group, Kelderman could win as well. I think it'll be a really interesting stage. We don't even know the form of McNulty and Vingegaard. They're up one day, down the next. I think Perstelberger will struggle over the climb, but a really, really interesting stage. I hope that even if a break wins, I hope we get some GC action and some teams decide to take it up because there's so many teams with moving parts. I mean, even Patrick Conrad could win this stage for Bora Hansgrohe. They got some – he's quick in, the, in a final, on the, in a flat finish, so he's never – he's got one pro win. So there could be, you know, and that's an Austrian national champ two years ago in a world tour race. So there's some riders who should be really saying, I want this because we've never won a world tour race before. But uh, what do you think, Ineos Benji, defense? They have Kwiatkowski on defense mode on that steep climb. Yeah, they should. Like GC is their most important thing here. Yep. They don't really care about stages. So defense mode, keeping their riders at the front. Also for that descent after the uh, final climb, you never know that Astana throws a descent coup in again. For so, sure. Um, that's what I have in mind, just protection for their riders and trying to make sure they don't lose time on a, a plucky stage like this for them, let's say, because the other stages are more important for them. Astana really, if, if it's a technical descent, I haven't looked at the map, but they got two cards to play. They got Aaron Baruch, Buddha Sender. If I was them, I send Yonis Gear if he's there on the descent and if Aaron Baruch is still there to attack with those two and make other teams or Ineos chase, just put as much pressure on as possible because the climbs we've got coming up are the Ineos sort of climbs, as Benji mentioned, stage six, uh, sort of 7K, 6%, and then the uh, La Plana climb, that's Ineos territory too. So this is an option for chaos tomorrow and we're hyping it up a lot. Maybe we'll just see. <laughs> Nothing that's You're maybe... hyping it up a lot, mate. <laughs> I, know, I know, I know. I like these welter sort of finishes though a lot. Uh, otherwise, any other news? Froome, Benji, you mentioned before we went on air, something about Froome uh, in the TT. Yeah, it just, it just wasn't a, a strong TT and it once again offers up the question of should he go to the Tour de France? Is it going to be shameful for him to be there? I don't think for him it will be, but it will look like that, which, yeah, it's a bit cringe. That's the word I have for it. But, yeah, I I just, he's not showing the form at all. That's clear. And I don't think that's going to change from the progress we've seen in, in the last months. And, yeah, I don't know what else to add to it. I think that's basically the conclusion that we have right now. He's not in form to win the Tour de France by far. And at this point maybe to win a stage will be hard already. Mate, he's not winning a stage. Yeah, he, I don't two, think so either. Two, minute, two minutes 12 back on the winner in a 21-minute, 21-and-a-half-minute TT that was hard, but kind of like that's like 30 seconds ahead of Caden Groves, who's a young neo-pro pure sprinter for bike exchange. So uh, I think when Benji says he, it's cringe, I don't think he means Froome's comeback. I think what well, our view is, yeah. our view is that, you know, of his own accord, Froome comes out in the press almost every week to say, you know, going for fifth GC, he's always saying, I've lost, I've gone to altitude camp, I've lost two kilos, it's going to all be better. And it's like, just stop, just, I know, you know, if you're on that long path, be on the long path. But he keeps offering up these sort of carrots that, that we know they're not realistic if you're watching. Like, 
okay, you lost two kilos. If that's the case and your power's the same, why are your results horrific, you know? But anyway, we'll see what ISU, ISN do with him. It's really tricky because 5 million euro for the exposure, he will get the exposure at the tour, but it will all be negative exposure. But then they're not really a commercial entity. They're like a love child of someone obsessed with cycling and promotion of Canada and Israel. So it's like normal commercial and rational sort of uh, decision-making is not in play. Uh, but, yeah, otherwise, my back's killing me. It's been weird doing this on the floor. Thanks for filling me in on this weird TT, Benji. I think I'm going to go and watch it because it sounds pretty mad, <laughs> to be honest. And apparently I'll be having be watching the craziest stage of the Dauphiné tomorrow. But, yeah, any last thoughts, Benji? Any other cycling news that I've missed while I've been up and down Andorra's main street? I think a lot of transfer rumors, let's say, because Viviani's apparently riding for uh, Eolo Cometa next year, oh, leaving really? Tofidis. <laughs> okay. Um, we also had rumors that Bennett is returning to Ineos or Bora. No, not not returning to Ineos. <laughs> He's going to Ineos or returning to Bora, which is also, there's so much to say about those two lines. <laughs> Mate, they're going to be a separate pod. <laughs> what yeah. the hell? It makes no <laughs> sense. <laughs> and um, I think there was another one. I think... The Laporte thing we also heard about oh, that he's already yeah. confirmed to Yumbo despite them not being allowed to confirm it before, uh, what is it, August? Something did it, like did that. It come, did it come from the Velaflitz guy? Yeah, but not from Yumbo. No, no, but he's the guy. <laughs> he's the, Whatever yeah. he says is true. He's the guy. If he says yeah, it, yeah. the Velaflitz man, it's always true. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, interesting. Maybe we'll do – let us know in the comments down below if you'd like a separate transfers pod, probably pre-Vuelta. The rumor mill will be really going. Well, there might be announcements already by then. By the in- Vuelta, they'll already be signed. All right, well, okay, we'll, we'll do it maybe after, straight after the Tour de France if people <laughs> want that sort of podcast. But thanks for listening, as always. Thanks to Lacole for partnering with the Lantern Recycling Podcast. And from me and Benji, we'll see you with the recap tomorrow. Ciao.